would like to welcome everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall. Thank you for listening to WEHC. And I have got a fun guest today. Emory and Henry, class of 2016. Katie Beth Boardwine. How are you doing? Hey, you doing well. How are you, Monica? I'm good. I'm so happy to get to talk to you. You're an educated attorney, graduated from Elon College in 2018. Is that right? Elon University. It's not a college anymore, is it? Yep. It's a university and like the main campus is in Elon, North Carolina, but the law school is over in downtown Greensboro. So that was definitely a change up from undergrad at Emory for sure. I remember I was at a concert um, and Dr. Frederick had asked all the seniors that were graduating, like, where are you going for graduate school or what are you doing after this? Because I'm going to announce it to the parents and everything like and everybody else's parents knew but I remember I just said Elon University in Greensboro and I looked out in the audience and like my mom and dad were crying and carrying on because they didn't want me to go far away. So I hadn't even told them when I decided. Well, and so, and you grew up in Saltville, Virginia. Yes, ma'am. I sure did. <laughs> That's where you are right now. Cause you're being a good daughter and you're home doing some stuff to take care of your family right now. Yes, ma'am. I moved back home about the 1st of September um, to take care of my Junie. And then I'm, I'm staying here for, for the duration at this point. My mama and daddy still need some help. So I'm happy to be here and be able to do what they need me to do. Well, and just so that folks know, because there's some people listening who would have known your Junie, June Totten. She was born in 41. So okay. I don't know exactly what time she graduated, but cleaning out her closets, I have found Delta Row, everything. I have found lamb paddles. I have found Dominecker ribbons. You know, I don't know what my Judy was up to. <laughs> Maybe she but just had a lot of boyfriends. Maybe. A lot of boy- Listen, I'm, I'm not, I don't blame her. Go for it, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> you all had a sweet relationship and that makes me very happy. And I'm, I'm sorry that she has passed, but I think it's awesome that you've been here to take, help take care of her and help take care of your mom and dad for a little while. But, but the thing that I guess has really struck me is something I wanted to talk to you about because I just didn't see it coming okay. is that you are doing some actual preaching right now. <laughs> What in the what in the world just happened? You're an, you're an attorney and suddenly you're in the pulpit. Yeah, not an actual <laughs> not an actual preaching. <laughs> but um yeah, so I like I told my mom one time jokingly, I was like, Yeah, I'm a lawyer by day and a preacher by weekend and a full time fool. And she was just sort of like, Yeah, that's pretty much true. So I am um an, an attorney and I work at Legal Aid of North Carolina in Boone. But when I moved back home, I had gone over to my preacher's house to just talk to her about some stuff. She's um, her name's Lisa Bryant, and she is just a really wonderful mentor and kind of um, person in my life. And and we were talking and she was kind of like, well, I know you want to come home and I know that you're kind of discerning a call to ministry because that's something that I've been kind of wrestling with forever. And she was like, so do you want a job? And I was like, Lisa, I don't think you know me well enough (laughs) to offer me a job being the shepherd of a flock because Mm -hmm. I'm not you know I can cuss and fuss and carry on with the best of them so I was you know trying to tell her all those things before she put my name down to send to somebody or to let me you know I, I was not qualified at all for the job had never done much preaching like would do some supply preaching at church if I needed to 
and I did Greek Sunday my senior year at Emory, but that's it, right? Like that's really all. And I hadn't really ever talked much about religion either. Like even with my closest friends growing up or at Emory, like I've always gone to church, gone to youth group, that kind of stuff. But I learned young that talking about it too much and then living differently can kind of turn people off and make you look awful like hypocritical and judgmental Mm -hmm. so I've just always kind of kept in a way felt unworthy to kind of be like yeah I'm a Christian and I love God and this and that because I was you know carrying on and still carry on like let's not you know be coy (laughs) but then I remember I was in world religions class with my good friend Forrest from the class of 2016 and He looked at me and he was like, why do you believe in God? And I was just like floored by this question, right? Like, why do I believe in God? And so I think that from that conversation, I've really been delving into, you know, I believe in God because I am an unworthy person. Like there are so many things in my life that other people, if they knew, might not love me anymore, but God knows and he loves me. Okay. So you were, let's go back to to the first thing where you said, that you had been discerning a call for a long time. And so like, since you were a kid or? Since I was young. Yeah. Since I was pretty young. So there's this thing that they send all the kids in the Halston conference to, I believe. Resurrection. Resurrection. (laughs) Yes. It's like a cattle call for Methodist teenagers. Mm -hmm. Listen, that's where they all go. It's in Gatlinburg. You go there and then you go to the aquarium and eat your weight in Dippin' Dots ice cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And sometimes you get to touch a penguin, but that's another story. Listen, I've lived for resurrection. I remember one year we had gone, I was probably 11, like was very young. They were talking about, you know, if you have a call, like if you feel a call to ministry, then come to the front and we'll like start helping you or like give you a mentor and all this kind of stuff. And, and I was a more shy child than I am now, <laughs> surprisingly. I, I would, but I'm I sorry thought, that I missed like, that really- phase. <laughs> Everybody did. (laughs) I remember kind of sitting there and being like, well, I kind of, I really liked the speaker. I liked that he, the way that he talked to us was very like not churchy at all. Like it wasn't, you know, hellfire and brimstone. It was kind of like, listen, God is this guy that cares about you and has done all these things for you. And I was just sort of like, is he? Like, (laughs) how good great news because I had just been to my neighbors across the road who were my best friends growing up I had just been to their church which was Pentecostal and was a demon in hell oh yeah for a Christmas play (laughs) oh oh oh. (laughs) I thought you were being metaphorical oh you actually played the demon in hell for the Christmas play listen I beat out all the other kids for that position casting I'm just curious Well, I showed up and gave them my best impression. And so they said, you know, that'll, you'll do. They said, the Methodist will do. This is Methodist kid. Let's make her the devil. Yeah, that works. (laughs) So that's what I had come from into that resurrection. And so it was just kind of this like, you know, paradigm shift for me. But had kept kind of like, had sat in my seat, like stayed there because you know, most Methodists, except when you're at resurrection, like to sit in our seats and not do a lot of talking or carrying on. So I just sat there and kind of looked around and my mom had looked at me and she was like, if you want to go, honey, go. And I was like, nah, girl, I'm good. I'm so good. 
because I don't want to talk to nobody. Like, I don't want to <laughs> answer any questions. And so I'd stayed there, but that kind of moment remains with me for a pretty long time. And I talked to my pastors about it growing up because I think that they had seen like the way that I explained stuff to other kids and youth group, the way that I was so willing to participate in confirmation and, you know, um, just preaching if somebody needed to t- like a week off or something. Um, so we're just kind of waiting on me to so get it together. So then you come home and, and you're mentor and your pastor says, here's this job. And you're like, Oh, well, this might be an opportunity to do something I've been thinking about for a very long time. Right. And so it was like kind of twofold, right? Like it was the Methodist church, you know, without getting into too much detail is really going through it right now. Uh Um, (laughs) really Uh going through it. And so for me, it was an opportunity, like one to get closer to home, like to have a job even if I couldn't, because at the time I was still working at legal aid in Morganton, North Carolina. So it was an opportunity to come home with at least bringing a little bit of money into the house if I had to quit my job. Um, And then secondly, it was to be a part of a change in the church that I, you know, think that we should encourage um and to be a person who people can come to no matter what their walk is and feel comfortable talking about it um because I don't think I'll ever be able to be as holy and like divine as someone would think of when you think of a pastor but I think because you know I'm maybe I'm more worldly I guess (laughs) is the term but um, I would hope that people can see that like God loves even those who don't appear like you would think or who aren't out here like, you know, prophesying all the time. Well, you know, I feel like it's, it, it's an interesting thing that you say because I, it does seem like we have come to a point where we sort of narrowly define what a Christian looks like. I mean, you kind of said that yourself that you've, Mm -hmm. you know, you felt like you were way too honest and, you know, and edgy and those kinds of things to, to really, to look like what people consider to be a Christian. And so, so here you are in this position and I, I'm getting the impression though, that you're not pulling punches while you're preaching. No, I don't. Um, don't do that because I think that that would be being dishonest to the way that I feel called and like my own relationship with God, because I think growing up, I did have the tendency to be a little bit more judgy um, because, you know, we learned that Jesus loves us all and that there's, you know, we are supposed to love our neighbor and all, the, all these rules, you know, love everybody, yeah. love's important. And then we see people in our congregation act differently and we see people in our lives act differently and hurt other people and say things that are hurtful and do hurtful things. And then it's kind of like you're at this crossroads, like, okay, do I do what these people say that are in my church that are important or that say they're Christians or do I do this other thing and actually not judge and actually love? So I think that that's kind of where I want to be. So, and I don't think that that is necessarily upsetting because I think that a lot of people in the church are kind of like, you know, when I gave my first couple of sermons, I was like, "Mm, I might get fired. Like, I don't really know. Um, I'm just kind of talking about what I've read and what I believe. So, 
maybe this isn't right or maybe people will be upset by it but really I think that the heart of the message is that I give is really just that basic like we're put here to love one another and to enjoy the time we have and to take care of our people and our people aren't just people who look like us or talk like us or you know love like us or move around in the world the way that we do so you know what's been what's been the response I mean you're not you're not you're not preaching in downtown Chicago Katie Beth you're (laughs) you're in Chilhowie and Saltville and met of you and you're in little churches and so what kind of response have you gotten to this truth telling yeah so you know um the the cooperative ministry that I work in now is it's so it's called the Asbury Keywood Cooperative Ministry and so there's six churches on the circuit my church that I um you know, pastor primarily is Ebenezer in Glade Springs, beautiful Glade Springs. If you all ever want to come, we meet the second and fourth Sundays at 10 a.m. Um, and that is where Dr. Jones goes to church. And so Jerry I Jones, just, we love him. Yes, love him. And so I have found such love and acceptance and just willingness to um, listen to me and talk with me about things that I feel and things that my parishioners there feel. And so um, there's a lot of give and take, right? Like we, but we, we don't have to see things the same way to be in church together. And so um, Ebenezer is a historically black church in the Methodist um, United Methodist church and in the Holston conference. And I believe it's one of three. So it's really important to, listen to Dr. Jones and Miss Bev and Mr. Rick and all the people who are there about what they need and what they want church to be like for them. Like for them, we don't have a bulletin. We kind of go with the flow and I love, there's no better place to be on Sunday at 10. Does Jerry Jones play the piano for that service? He does indeed. Uh, That's worth going for right there right tears the tears the roof off the place every Sunday we sing and and just have such a good time and then I'm also at Tate's Chapel in Chilhowie my name is on the side out front it's his pastor I'm gonna go out there and take a picture of that (laughs) well listen my uncle was driving across 107 one day and he gave me a call and he said now what is happening and I said (laughs) it's not a joke (laughs) it's a real thing and he said, well, uh, okay, I'll come to you when I break the law and when I need a preacher. And I said, that sounds good, buddy. That's um, <laughs> so, and it takes, there are four women who go there pretty, uh, you know, religiously, like they ride together. Um, and one is um, a member of, used to go to Madam Russell. Her husband was the preacher there. And so she is older, but you wouldn't like loves to be there. Like they my women love being at church and with one another. And so they have a great time with, um, you know, what I say to, they always, if they have a problem, they let me know Oh, funny. directly and we sit and we talk about it. Right. So it's yeah. not ever this thing of like, um, 
well, I don't, you're not doing something right or you're not listening to us because I think that that's the most important thing about coming into churches, especially churches that aren't your home church is kind of being like, well, what do they want out of their worship and what do they, you know, need to hear from me? I was going to say, where do you, where do you find that line? I mean, it's one thing to say, this is what you want. This is what you're Mm -hmm. comfortable with. This is what you're Mm -hmm. used to hearing but I feel a need to make sure that we talk about some hard things. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's a really hard thing to do, but I have an advantage because I'm from here. Right. So I'm not uh, like, I understand some of the things that they worry about and am able to say, well, okay, here's this, but let's look at it this way. And where we have that bond already of like, hey, we care about each other. We're in the same space. Um, it's it's really well received the way that we talk about things. And so, and I think it's also not discrediting what like they are more traditional. Like we follow the bulletin. We have to say the um, Apostles' Creed, like all this Alex kind of stuff. And, like, yeah, right like the pomp and circumstance is very important and it makes sense as to why it's important to them. And so that's what we do. Um, But we also, you know, I'll start my sermons out with a little story about something that's relevant. And then my dad says it kind of takes you by surprise. Like you think you're just listening to me, like spinning a yarn and then Jesus like pops up. (laughs) How did he get in here? I don't understand. We were just talking about you know, the concession stand at the Panthers game. And suddenly there's Jesus. And suddenly there's Jesus. He just pops up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Well, the first sermon I ever preached was about church softball and how it ruined my life. Um, because it was awful. I'm not an athlete. We all know. Everybody who knows me knows. I can't catch a ball. I can't run. Could barely march like in the band. <laughs> I'm not good. But at church softball, me and my very good friend growing up, Marky Hagas, she was the pitcher, I was the catcher, and she was playing both parts. And when I missed a ball, she got so mad at me that she said, God, Katie, why can't you do anything right? And so I threw my glove down, walked off the field, collected my mama, and told everybody that I was there for Jesus not to win. And... So kind of related that back to how, you know, the way we treat each other is really important. And the way that we show God's love is really important, even when we're playing a game of church softball. And that well, even though it is church softball, but she was there to win. We people get competitive and people get ill and people yeah. get mad. Listen, I learned my lesson. Mm-hmm. I will never play another game of church anything ever again. All right, just to remind everybody, we are speaking with Emory and Henry class of 2016, Katie Beth Boardwine, um, an attorney, the best spinner of tales I have ever met in my life, and <laughs> a minister now. And so that's what we're kind of talking about. And I want to go back to something you said a minute ago that's kind of staying with me when you were saying that uh, sometimes you said things that were not exactly what others in the church believed and others in the church would say things that maybe are not exactly what you believe, but you could share that space. You could be in that church together, even though you didn't believe things the same way. I mean, that's a lovely thing to hear you say, but that is 
in my mind, sort of exactly what the Methodist church is bumping up against right now is that people cannot figure out how to be in the same church space and, and not believe the same thing. So let's face it. Are you here to fix this? So I don't think that, (laughs) I think that's a big order, like a tall order to feel because I do think that people we're people, right? Like at the end of the day, and we are entrenched in what we believe. And especially when it comes to religion, if we believe vehemently that God has told us something, then even people with the least bit of, you know, like church in or anything will stick to it because God told us. And, but that's also been used throughout history to oppress, abuse, um, enslave, you know, other people. And so I think that we have to be vigilant of how the Bible is used to construe things and um, to kind of make our agendas make sense. When Jesus did the very opposite, like came along to shake up what was established rule and ate with sinners and had his feet cleaned by, you know, uh, prostitutes, like what, it, like it did all sorts of things. Right. That wouldn't be he broke okay all those time. rules, broke all those rules. And so who are we to maintain these archaic rules that don't make sense and hurt people? So, because I think that love doesn't hurt like being human hurts, like, you know, having grudges hurts, like, um, having guilt, having shame, um, having anger, those things hurt, but love and, you know, actually listening to the teachings of Jesus doesn't hurt us, um, and makes us more willing to love our fellow man wherever they are, even if we don't agree, because at the end of the day, not agreeing isn't going to change anything. Well, yeah, no, you're right. Not agreeing is not going to change anything, but it sure is. Well, the whole country's like this right now. I mean, it's whole not just, country. yeah, I mean, the whole country is like this right now. And, and the Methodist church, I think is just one example of what happens when mm-hmm. that happens, but. And, and I know that I'm being very like kumbaya, like you have to like be with people like where they are and all this kind of stuff, but it's not easy. And it's especially not easy when people have like racist, sexist, homophobic, like things like that, that they're using God to, you know, make it make sense. Right. But Katie, so they believe that, that. they, be- they believe deeply that yeah. they feel those that way because that's how God wants them to feel. Mm-hmm. And how do you argue advice- with that? Right. I mean, my advice there is like, check your theology, right? Like that's not, you know, Jesus's family line had people who were different races. Jesus himself was, um, you know, like a Arabic man, like was from North Africa. Well, that's not the picture I saw hanging in the fellowship hall. (laughs) No, ma'am. Is that not not an actual photograph? Wait, what's going on? <laughs> but you know, like Jesus is from a blended family. Like he, he, his great, 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 great grandma Rahab was a prostitute. Like there are all these people in Jesus's own lineage that shows that you can be used for His glory, even if you're not perfect. And what a blessing! Because I know for oh, if there, there, so in law, there's a character and fitness test, right? Yeah, you have to pass it to be able to sit for the bar, at least in North Carolina. 
So when I got in there, they talked to me about my student loan debt, which is astronomical. They talked to me about all of my mm, many brushes with the law. <laughs> oh, I feel like I've asked you the wrong questions in this interview. Don't make that face. You know. <laughs> They asked me about, you know, just all kinds of stuff that was very much like, okay, if you're not fit to be in this profession, we're not going to let you sit for the bar. And so there's a similar process. I'm going through a candidacy process right now in the Methodist church, but to be a local pastor, like I, there's not this, I've had many meetings and meet with um, mentors and the boards and committees and all that kind of stuff. And and being able to explain, like, I did this thing because of this, or I feel this way because of this, is actually better. Because, and I think in one of my first meetings, Scott Spence said, like, Jesus doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. That's a good line. Right? That's so a good Emory Henry like, man, too. Yep, he is indeed. He is yeah. indeed. And so um, it's kind of exactly the same. Like, that's how I feel about it, right? Is there's not a barrier there or shouldn't be based on what you've done in the past or what you're doing in the present or what you may do in the future. Going back to what uh, your friend asked you in class, why do you believe in God, Katie Beth? <laughs> well, so it's a kind of a personal answer. So I hope that I don't make anybody who's listening feel uncomfortable. Well, if I've asked you um, something you don't want to answer, you can just say pass. Oh, no, listen, I'm a, I'll tell you whatever you want to know, Monica. <laughs> but so I believe in God because, you know, I have really, I'm at a time in my life where my Junie has passed, who is my grandmother figure. My mother is recovering at uh, Bristol Regional right now from brain tumor surgery. And my sweet little daddy is 70 and trying to figure out what to do with a business that's been in my family forever. Um, and so I thought that at this time in my life, I would be very, very angry and have anticipated being very angry at God and at life and at my circumstances and, and scared of being alone, which is present. Like, I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, I became a minister and the sun came out and everything is better. But I am more at a place where I'm able to kind of be thankful for the time that I have with these wonderful people in my life and the experiences that I get to live. And I also am just in a place where I know that I'm not alone because I have this belief that if my, like, you know, when my family members die, they'll go to heaven and be with Jesus if they've been forgiven and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and so it's kind of a promise that there's something after this. And I know that that's silly. You know, like I think saying it sometimes sounds silly. I think the idea of prayer is sometimes silly because it's like, how can you say this thing and it go up to God and then something happen here on earth? But I think that's praying is the best thing you can do for somebody and believing that you're not alone and having that support helps you live life every day and it's a lot of different things like I think people who believe in vibes are the same way like people who believe in the universe it's the same thing it's a comfort and a security and just a peace and you have felt that peace and you believe that to be God mm -hmm. that's my interpretation but again like I again I think that 
this is where people might lose me and say, well, she's just a hippy dippy Sigma Nu. For me, that's God. For somebody else, that might be something else. I don't believe, I think we're all talking to the same God, just in different languages. The thing I guess I'm most impressed with is that you, you know yourself and you own your beliefs and you're not scared even of those four women in that car who come to church <laughs> together every week at Tate's Chapel, you're not scared to share your faith and let them share their faith with you. And that to me is very courageous and open-minded. Well, thank you. I, I don't, um, I don't know. I don't think that I'm very special in that regard because I think that I still struggle you know, as we all struggle with, you know, what am I doing? Like I'm a trained lawyer and then I'm out here trying to change careers in the middle of my life when I really, you know, wanted to like, you know, went into law with the intent to be in law for my whole life. But then I'm considering like taking a CDL test to help my dad. And we all know that that's not a good idea for me, but I want to be there to watch. I'm going to (laughs) get, I'm going to go to Fred's market and get a honey bun. And I'm just going to sit on the side of the road and watch, watch it play out. Don't sit on the side of the road. Find a safer vantage point. <laughs> well, I am proud for people to know you, and I am proud to, for you to be back in this community. And you might be the, the subject of a new documentary called Katie Beth Boardwine, Pastor <laughs> at Law. <laughs> Katie Beth Boardwine, Emory and Henry class of 2016, attorney, pastor, soon to be a driver of a truck in Saltville, everybody duck. <laughs> Everybody get off the road. Get off the road. Get off the road. The woman's going to get a CDL license. Thank you so much for talking with us today and for helping us think about some things. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Well, we want to thank everybody for being with us today on WEHC 90.7, the voice of Southwest Virginia. And thank you for being with us on the Duck Pond Wall. We hope you stay tuned and listen to what's coming up next. And, um, You know, just thanks for supporting this station here at Emory and Henry College. Y'all have a good day.